Welcome to Walk the Line, the podcast for people working in offsite construction, hosted by Chris Ward from Trunk. Welcome back. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Nigel Banks from Ilka Homes. Nigel talks about manufacturing four houses per day, developing homes with zero energy bills at no extra cost to the purchaser, and also how offsite can complement traditional construction to satisfy our demand for housing. Enjoy the show. Thank you for joining us, Nigel, today, and thanks for giving up your time. Just wanting to find out a bit about yourself first. Tell us about your role and what that involves day to day. Hi, Chris. It's Nigel Banks. So I'm R&D Director at Ilka Homes. My background is in housing, consulting, and then working for main contractors. So I started off at Oscar Faber, which is now AECOM, a global consultancy doing M&E and wider sustainability and engineering design work, also supporting the government in the development of building regulations at the time, and then went to join Keepmo, who built out a number of the schemes that I designed and worked there seven years and out of, out of Keepmo was born. So I led the Keepmo team that, that partnered with a company called Elliot to develop the original concept work for Ilka. But that was back in 2018 when was sort of Ilka was, or tw- late 2017, 2018 when Ilka was sort of uh, founded and had a role leading on design and product and now work on future design and future product and, and where we're going from here. So we've now got quite a big and established team yeah. that are doing the day-to-day. So I'm now looking at sort of key step change projects in sort of three, um, three sort of key umbrellas or buckets, performance of the homes, potential new markets we could enter into, and also opportunities to put better products at, at lower costs and where there's opportunities for efficiencies. It's quite an interesting day job that keeps yeah. me quite varied. Yeah, very exciting and definitely at the sharp end there. And, and is that mainly or is it exclusively residential projects that you work on? Yeah, so Elka focuses on sort of low rise, medium density housing scheme that we're generally doing two, two and a half, three story homes, some detached, mostly semi-detached or, or sort of three or four homes. And most of our sites now are typically sort of 100 to 200 homes. There are some apartments on some of those schemes and we're delivering across England and Wales. So we've done a project in Wales, but most of the projects have been in England and we've now got homes installed on 44 sites in the country, which is quite a lot of sites to do in the last four or five years. And we've been busy doing lots of, yeah. sort of pilot projects and small sites and a lot of the sites we're now live on are much, much bigger. And so we've certainly gone from pilot phase to mainstream, which is part of the journey we've been on. Okay. And tell me about that journey into offsite then. Was that intentional? Did you pursue those kind of, that kind of way? Were you sort of there, I suppose, by the tide of the way that the, your role went? So I had some experience of offsite at Keepmo. They had a, we had a factory in Birkenhead called Evolve back in 2011 and 12, which was a volumetric product. So we did have some experience there. The change in the marketplace in 2012, where all the social housing grant was stopped, impacted mm-hmm. that and that, that business sh- was shut down. And, and a lot of lessons learned from that when we looked at what we could do with, with Ilka. And also around the 2015-2016 period when a lot of the good environmental policies were scrapped and the zero carbon homes policy for 2016 was scrapped and a lot of the funding towards energy efficiency was reduced. We started to mm-hmm. look at Keepmo, what else could we do and where else do we, do we see opportunities uh, for, for growth? At the same time that the Heatmap Homes part of the business was trying to grow into the southeast of England and we're struggling with some of the supply chain challenges. So our chief exec at the time, Dave Sheridan, sort of challenged us to look at can we make offsite 3D volumetric modular work and restart for a blank sheet of paper. We put a team together from Keepmo and a team together from from Elliot, who are uh, another company under the same majority shareholder, and really start mm-hmm. from a blank sheet of paper. How do we make this work? It's cost effective and scalable to deliver a significant opportunity for a viable business to, to happen. And what are the key barriers? to that. So a lot of lessons learned from the original. And then, so I led that original team at Keep Merkin until 2016, 2017 on trying to develop the original concept. Elliot's built the very first mm-hmm. two concert homes in 
late 2016, installed them in 2017. And we got really positive mm-hmm. feedback from those. They were installed in, in East London. And off the back of that, the majority of shareholders of the business decided to set up as a separate entity. And it was late okay. 2017 that was born. And then in that same year, the Keep Motor Generation business was sold to NG. So I actually spent nine months working for NG, who are a global energy company, who were in, interested in also doing mm-hmm. work in, in a sort of placemaking and place of community work. I actually went to work in their energy business, their startup energy supply business. So I got quite a lot of insight into energy, the energy market, how domestic energy supply works, how the costs really flow through. That's okay. been really interesting for some of the stuff we've been doing recently. I've had a, it's kind of not intentional focus on offsite, but it's been a, it was the key R&D opportunity for us to explore. And it's been a really exciting sort of five years learning from what we did back in 2011, 12 to, to, to learning lots more lessons and doing it very much more as a manufacturing process this time around, rather than construction yes. in a shed, which is where some of the offsite construction businesses have been and some still are. Yeah, definitely. You've hit a point we've talked about many times is that a lot of the industry, almost all of the industry is on this journey from construction towards manufacturing. And some are very early in that stage of that journey. And some of the companies I've spoken to even in the last 24 hours are, are at the beginning of that journey in some ways. And some have got really got that approach down to manufacturing. And that's very different right from the design, let's say, right through to DFMA and all of that and having products and staying away from many variations, let's say because you are manufacturing here, not bespoke house building almost. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the things we, we really focused on when we set out originally was we needed to bring together a combination of house building and development skills. You understand the mm-hmm. house building market, what product, the sort of minimum viable product that's required to operate at scale with mm-hmm. originally modular construction, I would say, rather than modular manufacturing. And now we've brought in a lot more manufacturing professionals who are have come from automotive, aerospace, rail, and they bring a very different culture and a very different approach to problem solving and developing solutions. And it's been a really important to come together and find some middle ground on some of those points, because I think you can go too far to try to get to a fully manufactured automotive style process too early. So we've got saying Mm -hmm. of effectively trying to understand how to build it in a more manual process first, and then look Mm -hmm. to, to bring automation in. So find the product, find the process. And then look to automate it. So that's been a real big driver and a big lesson that I think others can learn that, that you can go too fast into automating a process that, or, or, a, or a design or a product which isn't right. You can't get accreditations for or doesn't deliver the, the right solution. And by doing it manually first, you learn a huge amount, can iterate much faster. And once you've iterated a few times yeah. and got to a solution you think's right, then you can crack on and, and look at ways of becoming more more efficient and look at automation. Yeah, okay. Okay. So just to help me picture the Iltry, how much automation's going on roughly? Is it 10%? Is it 80% or up and in full flow? The factory is currently producing sort of seven or eight modules a day. So that's getting close to four houses a day. And there are currently over a thousand people working in the Iltry's business, which is a massive growth. We've recruited, I think, nearly 600 people since Christmas this year. So it's right. been a big, big growth journey in terms of starting to ramp up our production. When you look at the factory floor, we're at 25,000 square meter factory, which is about six football pitches. So it's a big, big factory. It's where they used to print the yellow pages. I would say probably currently 10 to 15% of the floor space is sort of, is automation. So plasterboard, CNC machines, the CNC machines. So we're generally using automation to cut materials to, to size. And then right. we have a, a wall paneling line, which is making a full set of external walls every hour or so for a module. Mm-hmm. And then we have introduced a limited automation into the internal wall line. We're looking to fully automate that next process. We have a number of other areas where we're pre-making boxings in and other areas in the material preparation areas. And then we have three main production lines and a few sort of feeder production lines. We have a, a floor production line, ceiling production line, and the floor goes onto the start. 
the walls that are made from the water bed area added around and then the, the ceiling of that ceiling line come together. And that creates the basic mm -hmm. structural box of the module. But that's only probably a quarter of the way down the production line, the main production line. Right. So the main production line right. from that point onwards is around internal and external finishing. And that's probably two thirds of the factory floor. And currently most of those processes are fairly manual. They're assembly processes done to standard work and standard operating procedures with standard tools and very much in, in manufacturing flow with tech times and line balances and all these terminologies that were new to me coming into from a sort of construction background, but the norm for anyone from a manufacturing background. But yeah, there, there is a reasonable amount of time partly due to drying times on, on, on materials that then takes up the majority of the rest of the factory. So I think we're, people from manufacturing would say we're very early in our manufacturing journey. People who've come from construction would mm. say, wow, this is really advanced manufacturing for construction. So I think it does depend on where you've come from and what your experiences is. It's not a Tesla factory yes. with hundreds of six axis robots moving around, but it is definitely a very different feel and environment to what you'd find on a, any sort of construction. Yes. Yes. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Those terms, you, the words just, just flew by then, tack times, line balancing, hijunker, those sort of things. And you can tell just quite quickly as someone's looking at you, like you're talking strange words, they sort of construction mindset or whether actually it's like, oh yeah, I used to work at Toyota things. Wow. So yeah. Okay. Okay. I like to, usually when I ask about sort of how the last year's gone and some of the highlights, inevitably we get talked to talking about supply chain challenges and, and other things like that. But I like to focus on the positives and from one of the things you've said there is rapid growth. 600 new staff since Christmas, no small achievement. It's a lot to do. Is, what are some of the highlights in the last year, would you say, for Ilka and yourself? So I think personally that the launch of Ilka Zero commitment and the Ilka Zero product, which we'll perhaps come on to talk about, has been a, a real, really proud moment. I think we've always set out to have a high-performing in terms of operational carbon performance home and have already delivered six zero carbon sites, but a real appetite and interest from the, from our clients on that. So really excited about where that can go. And the first zero bills homes are on site. Uh, I'll be moved into this summer. So I'm really excited about the whole Ilka Zero journey. But yeah, I think that the biggest sort of transformation in the business in the last 12 months is has come partly from really ramping our pipeline of projects. It's going to a much larger number of, well, sorry, a similar number of install sites per year, but much bigger sites and having more control of those sites. And most of the sites are what we call package deals, where we have, we uh, sort and secure the land, plotted our homes on that site and uh, are working with an end customer to then deliver that out. And for a real mixture of tenures, which is one of the big lessons learned from the original Evolve uh, product, the Ilka product is we're servicing major house builders who are building for open market sale, for institutional investors who are building for rent or for shared ownership, as well as building for housing associations and councils for affordable rent, shared ownership and for social rent as well, in some cases in some of the councils. So that pipeline is now grown to uh, sort of 4,000 homes to, to, for us to build out. And that's meant we needed to ramp up production. Recruitment was a big challenge last summer and last autumn. We pivoted our strategy around that and really have now managed to ramp up production, ramping up our team. I think one of the benefits that we have is that we are not reliant on trade skills in the factory. So we have 95% of the roles do not require a, a trade person background. So we have a lot of people come from hospitality, from retail, in a wide variety of roles, which is also good because we've had higher diversity, gender balance in, in terms of the new workforce that, that we've managed to recruit. And so that's been really exciting to see those people join the business. Really exciting also to see personally how driven they are by the change that they're looking to make in the industry in terms of building higher performing homes, more sustainable homes, and also building additional affordable homes. So my sort of view is we need to continue building traditional homes at the same sort of rates we can with the available labor force we have in traditional construction. And then what we're about is trying mm -hmm. to deliver additionality. So not pulling those tradespeople into a factory, trying to group a different set of people to build on 
the additional volume that we need to get to because we're we haven't built the sort of three hundred thousand plus homes a year that, that are required to meet the current growing population and demographics for the last 40 odd years or 50 years so we've got a big backlog to try and to deal with and additionality is really important so yeah it's been yeah, quite yeah, a journey okay. of growing pipeline now growing production and growing installs and also seeing a, yeah. a drive around the orca zero product yeah okay okay and what's the future look like what's the interesting thing you'll be working on next related to ilka zero or do you move on to a different project now but it's at the Ramping up Ilka Zero is really important and it is a key focus for me and a number of people in the business. We have got some exciting projects working on around how we can take the product forward in a number of areas. Yeah, performance-wise, definitely the Ilka Zero is a key driver and there's a number of, of, of other projects probably going to too much time that we're working on that, that potentially could give us some real step change efficiencies and performance. That are areas where we haven't really focused on too much to date and where there's real opportunity to do more and change the status quo on a number of things that haven't been challenged before and some of that requires working with warranty providers to to ensure everything we do is still as fully robust and we're not taking risks here we're about just looking at what the understanding the first principles and making sure we're delivering robust durable maintainable solutions but in a more uh, efficient and cost-effective manner so really excited about some of those challenges making those happen and seeing the benefits that brings. Yeah, okay. Fantastic. Sounds like ex exciting times then. So lo looking ahead for yourself or for Ilka, what's the biggest challenge you've got on right now? So I think some of the, sort of the key challenges, clearly, as you mentioned earlier, is around inflation and inflationary pressures in the marketplace. Clearly, we've had a lot of material inflation that's happened, material cost inflation that's happened, and inflation generally in the marketplace is a, bit, is a challenge for a lot of providers. And securing supply chain, when you've got a production line, you need to have all the materials for all parts of the home available and shortage of materials would be disastrous if it would stop the production line and we haven't we managed to avoid that so a huge amount of work by our procurement and supply chain team and warehousing team to, to manage that that supply chain challenges yes. i think one big advantage we've got is we're effectively the equivalent of currently of about 20 construction sites sort of major house building construction sites in one location so we are getting full loads coming through we have quite a long visibility of what materials we need when so we can get our orders in early and secure our slots so that's helped us there so yeah it's a challenging market environment, but still the overall marketplace is very positive. There is still a massive demand for housing. There is still a big need for the products that we're making. And I think, and the diversity of tenures that we're building to gives us quite a bit of opportunity. If the sale market were to drop slightly, the rented side, I think will pick up some of the slack. So it's a real opportunity to grow depending on what could be quite an uncertain period ahead. Okay. And from what you've, what I've heard and what you've spoken about, Ilka is quite a keen adopter of technology, possibly leading the pack in terms of what I've seen of the offsite sector in the UK at least. But for you, from a technology point of view and looking at the offsite industry, what do you think the opportunities are for technology at the moment? I think the construction industry has been behind almost other, every other sector in many ways, in a lot of areas. I think in some ways it's been pretty good, but in, some, in, in a number of ways it's, it's been behind and technology adoption is one of those. And some of that, I think, is partly to do with how, uh, particularly in the housing market, how challenging it is to make use of technology through the asset life phase. So we work fully in 3D BIM models for everything we do and could provide that, that model to the end client or housing association, but a lot of them haven't got the systems or would know how best to use that model, that data that's there. So I think there's an interesting challenge there around how do you make that work? And I know a lot of people are working in that space trying to solve that challenge, but also in terms of just how you manage your business on a day-to-day -day basis. A lot of construction businesses are based on spreadsheets, which is fine for a lot of activities. But I think when you're getting to the sorts of scale and volume and, and complexity that we're getting to bringing technology to help solve those challenges is really important to make sure there's no gaps in the chain from initial work through to the end, ongoing asset management, a real opportunity to use that technology to do that. So that's a big driver for us is 
how we can end-to-end link up our full digital processes and make that work from quality control from original drawing and generation and manage that through the factory. And I think back to the point made earlier around the importance of getting the basics right. And often that is better paper-based or spreadsheet-based until what you want, what you need to track and how it's going to work and then look to, to digitize that afterwards. So again, I think we've taken a fairly pragmatic approach to doing things in a sensible way to start with and then looking to digitize once we've got something that we know works and works for production, works for the site team, works for the development team and works end-to-end. Okay, okay. And then looking at offsite as a construction method, whilst it isn't so totally new, it is growing rapidly at the present, certainly in the UK. And what do you think is needed for that to become take root and become the main way that we build homes in the UK? Yeah, I think in the next five years, it's going to become the main way of building homes. As I say, I think this is about creating additional housing supply on, on, on top of existing supply chains that are there to build traditionally, and they need to continue and improve, and, and the hopefully module will add some extra capacity on top of that. And I think one of the reasons it perhaps hasn't taken off as much to, is, certainly for the bigger house builders, unless you're at a significant scale, 2,000 homes a year plus of available capacity to build for them, or too small a part of their overall supply chain to spend a huge amount of time and effort in, in making work. So I think a real challenge for any modular business and the same probably for timber frame businesses in the past was getting to a sufficient scale that you could become a significant part of the solution for the businesses that are building 10, 15, 20,000 homes a year. If you're only doing 200 homes a year, that's not going to solve the supply chain challenges of the major house builders or even the major housing associations that are building or looking to build 5,000 homes a year. Getting to that scale and proving that scale such that you can be a meaningful part of that solution is really important. And I think it's been a real challenge to date. It hasn't really happened. But getting to scale is, again, a real challenge because how do you make that happen? I think that's one of the key learnings is lots of people do want to do smaller pilot projects to get started. And that's been the first sort of three years of our journey is proving the case, getting the accreditations, building out the house type portfolio, building your systems, building your production capacity. And now we are getting at that scale. Then we're at a scale where we can be meaningfully uh, impactful for delivering some of the supply chain challenges that the house builders have got who are looking to grow beyond that, as well as the housing associations and the, the wall of money that's coming through built to rent to deliver the households that needed for rental when yes. for many the housing market to buy is unaffordable in many parts of the country. And the only way yes. we're going to tackle that overall affordability is to build more homes and tackle the supply demand mismatch that's been there for the last say 40 odd. okay okay yeah yeah good points definitely and i'd not thought about and i've never heard anybody sort of mention about like being an additional build capacity rather than uh, instead of instead of traditional construction but i like that approach to what's been a long-standing problem as long as i've known and understood about the property market in the uk that's been a, a headline let's say so so yeah i like that i like that well, i think that's um, become you mentioned a few times oh. i was gonna say i think that's become more pronounced in the last few years and i think mark farmer's report certainly highlighted the in the farmer review that the potential issue that was coming around supply chains and availability of labor and that's been exacerbated in the last few years and it's really starting to bite i think that's one of the real constraining factors on the current volume of homes that can be built today i think we're approaching the limit of traditional build as it stands today without significant innovation and productivity and there's not a huge amount of easy easily available productivity gains on traditional construction sites, a lot of that has been, certainly in housing, has been worked out and we're doing the same things we were doing 30, 40 years ago. So a different approach is probably needed to get that additional capacity into the market. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very sensible. It makes a lot of sense. You've mentioned a few times there, Ilka Zero, and for, for people who don't know that product, who haven't heard about that product before, could you give us a, a quick summary and tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, so we launched Ilka Zero last, last summer. So Ilka Zero is our commitment that by 2030, we will only build zero carbon homes that will have zero energy bills and we'll have 
zero additional cost to traditional construction by 2030. So that's really about a statement of intent of what we were looking to achieve. I say we've already built some zero cut, six zero carbon sites, so with a number of homes on each of those sites. So we knew we could do zero carbon. We had a vision of building homes with zero energy bills, which we felt was a much better consumer proposition. People are interested in zero carbon, but not really willing to pay more for it. But, and certainly since the last 12 months since we launched, the cost of energy has doubled, if not trebled this coming winter. And therefore, being able to offer home with zero energy bills is a really attractive end user and consumer proposition. And then doing that, if we can achieve that at zero additional costs to traditional construction, then that's a real game changer. And so we're really excited about where that could take us as a business, but also really excited about where that could take the industry as a whole. And I'm really keen that we can showcase that building a zero bills home generates additional value for house builders or for people doing shared ownership or an in- income stream that could work for, for rented homes that makes it viable. And we think we, we may be able to showcase that this summer on the first homes we're, we're doing on the first zero bills development at uh, Stanford Hope in Essex with Gresham House and their SoResi brand. So we're really excited about this. Hopefully it could be a, a transformational moment where house builders could voluntarily look to build to higher standards because they can generate additional value that's more than the cost of, of putting that equipment in and then voluntarily build to a higher standard rather than waiting for the build regulations to, to force them up to the next level that they have to achieve. And I think if we could unlock that, would be amazing. So that's really excited about A, what it means for the orca business, but also what it could mean for the for house building in general. Yeah, fantastic. As you say, a, a game changer there. You commonly think of panels, heat pumps, lots of extra insulation, that sort of thing as bringing extra costs to a build. But yeah, the fact that you can do that. I mean, what what's, what's, just help me have a bit of a picture. What sort of technologies might be involved there? Yeah, so you mentioned some of the, the key ones there. So I think just from sort of first principles, get the basics right of a high-performing, well-insulated, draft-proof fabric. So we're not building to pass foul standard, but we're at a very good standard. We've been above the regs that have been in place for the last nine years by about 20%, and that reduces the need for heating. Then efficient equipment in the home where you are fitting equipment is important to the lighting, ventilation system, water fittings, etc., to minimize the need of that and deliver that energy that's needed in the most efficient way. And then there's Three key technologies that enable us to get to zero bills. Solar PV, as you mentioned, generating electricity on the roof, effectively for free. Air source heat pumps, providing the heating and hot water, and that uses electricity that you potentially generate from your solar panels. And one unit of electricity in gives you three or even four units of heat out for your hot water and heating. And then the third component is storage. So storing that energy in from your solar panels, that's in a chemical battery. So battery storage, like you've seen with sort of Tesla power walls or a number of other manufacturers out there, can store that energy from the daytime into the evening, but also storing hot water in a hot water cylinder, as is pretty much required with with an air source heat pump. And that enables us to to do the hot water, heat that hot water in the afternoon on a sunny day or at night in winter when you're on, when the energy is lower. So we've partnered with uh, Optimus Energy, who providing a bespoke Optimus Ilka Zero tariff that effectively guarantees a zero energy bill for the home. Uh, it currently excludes electric vehicle charging and has got a an absolute cap uh, about 10 megawatt hours of, of import from the grid, which is several times what we expect the homes will need on typical usage. It's there just to prevent abuse effectively of, of the system. And effectively, Optimus will bill on a monthly basis with zero on it. No standing charge, no electricity use. As long as over that 12-month period, you're not using more than 10 megawatt hours of import or any EV charging, your bill will be zero. So we're really excited about that as an end user uh, and consumer proposition and excited about what that means for, yes. for those people living in those homes. And particularly as we move into this winter, where bills are now forecast to hit an average bill of £3,300. I think the top 25% are going to be over £5,000 worth of bills on average for the top 25 existing homes. And that really shows how much of a difference there is between what we're proposing and 
what the existing stock has got. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, I imagine you're going to need to speak to the guys who run the Glastonbury website for uh, for when your new stock is available, because I imagine people will be fighting for these uh, with zero bills at the moment. Yeah, no, I think we're really excited about that. I'd say that the first time they've now uh, been put available for shared ownership through Gresham House there, so Resi Brand in, in, in Essex, on Stanford, the Hope site called Hope Green. I'm really excited to see the interest in that site and use that to demonstrate to others in the shared ownership space, but also in the open market sale, right, PLC house builder market, that these homes can sell for a premium and that premium could be more than the cost of the upgrades. And therefore, why wouldn't you? Historically, and we saw that when I was at Keepmote, we built a zero carbon code six home next to a standard Boonregs home and they sold for the same price. They were slightly lower built, they were lower bills, but the ability to move to a zero bill, I think is a really transformational end consumer proposition and that hopefully will generate enough extra value to, to cover the extra over costs, a lot of the, the potential is there. And do you think that standard's only achievable with modern methods of construction or do you think a traditional house builder might be able to develop such a product as well? So I think one of the big advantages we have in MMs, modern method of construction, MMC, is the ability to deliver better quality control and, and guarantee effectively the fabric performance. That is possible in traditional construction. The quality assurance that's there within the sort of passive house certification scheme it shows that you can get extremely high levels of performance in traditional construction, but that does require a very different mindset shift. And been involved in a number of the early passive house schemes that were built in sort of 2010 to 2015, and saw you got real attention to detail, huge amount of quality control, and that isn't generally there across the overall construction industry. So I think it's probably easier to deliver high performance in terms of fabric performance in MMs, but I do think that it's possible to do that in traditional construction and those technologies of mm. solar panels, batteries, heat pumps are on their way in terms of the regulations are driving that way for all house builders are going to have to build with those technologies in the next five years. And so embracing those and understanding them and making them make sure they work and they, they are performing is really key to making for that to be rolled out on in traditional construction. But so for the short term, we can do this and demonstrate we can do that. Uh, but I do think there's opportunities mm. to roll that out across the industry and hopefully the whole industry will move to the, to, to those sorts of integration technologies. And I think a lot of people mind boggling that we don't already build with solar panels and roofs or, or heat pumps uh, as standard. And the regs are probably a little bit behind where they need to be to effectively force everyone to build to those standards. And historically, they haven't built to those standards because mm. it's cost more. And there's been no value to, to offset that cost. If we can break that difference mm. and show the values there, then that's transformational, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So you've achieved something fantastic there. While Whilst the technologies that you mentioned are relatively common, people on the street would have heard of those sort of systems, but there must have been something quite tough in there that you've had to overcome because otherwise everyone would be doing it. What, when it comes to the R&D you did, the development of the product, what were some of the challenges there to achieve the zero? So I think zero carbon is relatively straightforward in low-rise housing. It's been, I mean, people are building to, built to that sort of standard since twenty. 14, 15 on some of the original zero carbon homes work. And that's now the required standard in London for all developments, although they have got the ability to offset in London some of the emissions. But yeah, I think some of the real challenges have come in really make, well, the amount of PV you need to get on the roof of a house is significant to get to a zero bill. And that does require you to really think about your roof design. And again, trying to work out how do you integrate these technologies into your home such that they are still just as easy to manufacture. They work for the end consumer. So we did a big redesign of our entire portfolio, effectively, to make sure they were easier to manufacture, easier to maintain, easier to install on site and work with heat pumps, solar panels, battery storage. And that requires you to rethink a number of things. You've got to find space for a hot water cylinder, for example. And one of the things we've done there is a, a real start from scratch, get feedback from end customers, clients around what worked in our original house types, what could have we been changing and bringing that into a new design that really was built around 
design for manufacture and the end consumer feedback. So sort of voice the customer as well as voice the business of what's really required. So that was a, a big redesign and we're now, those homes are now on the production line and we're seeing the benefit and that's enabled us to help ramp up production because they're now easier to manufacture and more consistent. You mentioned product variants at the start. We can do variants without significantly changing the, the production process or production flow, swapping out a couple of, swapping out certain sub-assemblies, but keeping it in the same space and the same footprint and the same install process is one of the key ways of making that happen. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of effort went into that redesign and we're now starting to see that flowing through. So that's definitely been a key part of the journey that is, it looks quite easy on paper to, you know, just, you didn't just put a hot water cylinder in there, but actually the full end to end process to make that work and work really well is a huge journey and a huge process. Yeah. Yeah. So take, taking some common ingredients and some, and a lot of special sauce, let's say, to get to what you've, you've got to. Yeah. And a lot, <laughs> lot of trial and error, things like virtual prototyping before doing real prototyping, learning lessons, iterating, and then get to the right solution and then, then backing it up. So yeah. There's a, got to bring all those ingredients together. Fascinating, fantastic achievement. And I could geek out and ask you questions all day long on this because it's something I'm very interested in. I'm aware of your time and I'm aware of keeping this as a bite-sized interview. Thank you very much for, for that. It's been really interesting, Nigel. And thanks for the time that you've given up and explaining about the Zero Project and everything else that Ilk is doing. It's, it's fascinating. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Cheers. This podcast was brought to you by Trunk the dynamic scheduling platform for off-site construction. Harnessing AI to help your factory deliver more each day. Check out www.trunk.works to find out more.